all this morning with me amen we're just going to lift them up and give them some praise amen we want to just enter right in we're not going to take up too much time amen i believe the word of god is what's important here amen and i know that's everyone's desire man if you would sing with me in the morning when we when i rise amen in the morning when i rise in the morning when I rise in the morning, when I rise, give me Jesus, give me Jesus.
Let's sing the song, Majesty. Amen. Majesty, worship His majesty unto Jesus be our glory, honor, and praise. Come on, sing it now. Oh, majesty, kingdom authority, unto, oh, unto his own, his anthem array. And so, Majesty, Jesus, who died, now glorified for the King of all kings. Majesty, worship His Majesty. Exalted now, so it's all lift up on a high the name of Jesus. And if I come glorify Jesus, the Exalt him once again now. And so exalt, lift up on high the name 
Amen. Why don't you put your hands together for Jesus this morning? Praise you, Lord. We worship you, Lord. Hallelujah. Have your way in the service today. Amen. Let's sing this song together, 10,000 Reasons. The sun comes up, it's a new day dawning, and it's time to see your song again. Whatever may pass, and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the evening comes. And bless the Lord, oh my soul, oh my soul, I worship His holy name. Your holy name, and you're rich in love, and you're slow to anger, and your name is great, and your heart is kind. For all your goodness, I will keep all thousand reasons for my heart to find. Oh, bless the Lord, oh, my soul, oh, my soul, I worship His holy name. Your holy name 
and I will worship your holy name. Glory, hallelujah. Amen. Isn't he good? Hallelujah. My, you sound so nice this morning singing. Amen. We just want to continue in that mode of worship now as we change the order of our service. We're going to take a couple of special needs that we have here, amen, before the Lord in prayer. Amen. These folks are reaching out to God, amen, and we just want to be mindful of those. Amen. I have a need here from Sister uh, Carol requesting prayer for her brother who's in the hospital. Man, she's going to be traveling to visit him and is requesting traveling mercies. Man, so let's pray for her in that situation with her brother. Amen. Also, I have a special need here. Sister Crystal Johnson is requesting prayer for her mother. And she was involved in an auto accident on Interstate 40. Amen. Um, I believe there were some neck injuries. Uh, and she's going to be having some corrective procedures done. So let's remember... And Sister Crystal Johnson's mother in prayer. Amen. Sister Connie Hughes also is requesting prayer. She's having some neck soreness. So let's remember her in prayer. Amen. Also have a need here. Uh, requesting prayer for grace. She will be traveling. Amen. Tomorrow. So let's pray for Sister Grace. Amen. That's all I have at this time. Amen. Brother Ben, would you come forward and take these needs to the Lord for us? Amen. If you have unspoken prayer requests, you can make those known at this time. We'll pray for you. Amen. Let's bow our heads. Lord Jesus, it is truly a honor and it's a privilege, Father, to be able to gather this morning together, Lord, with our brothers and sisters, Father, of like precious faith, and to be able to come, Lord, and just to be able to gather and to listen, Father, to the Word and to worship with you this morning, Lord Jesus, and it's, uh, it's good to be in church. Lord, we, uh, we come to you humbly, Father. Lord, we truly are a needy people, Lord, and Without you, Lord, we're nothing. And this morning, Father, as our brother Jaron has read these prayer requests, Lord, there are some of them, Father, that are hurting, Father, physically. Some of them need travel mercies, Father. Lord, I'm sure with those uplifted hands, Father, there might be some financial issues going on. There might be some spiritual issues going on, Lord. We just ask, Father, Lord, with each of the needs, Lord, that you will go to them this morning, Lord, that you'll meet them, Lord, Lord, calm those troubled hearts, Father, we ask this morning, Lord. Lord, we ask that you'll be with Brother Jaron as he continues to lead us in worship, Father. Lord, we ask that you'll bless him, bless our musicians, Father. And as we hear the word, Lord, let us do our part. Lord, let us pull on the word, Lord, because as we're near the end times, Father, things are crazy in the world, Lord, right now. And we are thankful, Father, that we have somewhere that we can tie our hope and our trust to, Lord, this morning. Lord, we just ask that you'll give us something, Father, that can help us to be better Christians as we go out this week, Lord. We ask it all in your name, in Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you, Brother Ben. You can have your seats. Amen. Why don't we just sing that song you're playing there? 
Every praise is to our God, every word of worship, one of call, every prayer, every prayer is to our God. Sing hallelujah to our God, glory hallelujah to our God, every prayer, every prayer. It's to our God, oh God, my Savior, God, my healer, God, my deliverer, yes, 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 God, my Savior, God, my healer. God, my deliverer, yes, he is, yes, he is. Now every praise is to our God, every word of worship, one of God, every praise, every praise, oh, it's to our God. That's right, come on now, sing hallelujah. Our God, oh glory, hallelujah. Every praise, every praise, oh, to our God. And God, my Savior, God, my healer, God, my deliverer, yes, He is. Yes, He is, God, my Savior, God, my healer, God, my deliverer. Yes, He is, yes, He is, and every praise is to our God, every word of worship, oh, every praise, every our God, sing hallelujah to our God, oh glory, hallelujah, every praise, every praise, oh it's to our God, come on sing now, in God my Savior, God my healer. God, my deliverer, yes, He is, yes, He is. God, my Savior, God, my healer, God, my deliverer, yes, He is, yes, He is. Amen. Give Him another hand of praise. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Let's sing this song through it all. I've had many tears and sorrows. I've had questions for tomorrow. Many times I didn't know right from wrong. 
But in every situation He gave me blessed consolation That my trials only come To make me strong Sing now Trust in Jesus, oh, I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to depend upon His Word. Well, I've been a lot of places and I've seen a lot of faces and there were times I felt so all alone in my lonely hours all those precious lonely hours Jesus let me know I am His own. Amen. Could I know what faith in God would do? Sing it now with all your hearts. Through it all, has He brought you through it? Amen. Hallelujah. I've learned to trust in Jesus. Oh, friends, I've learned to trust in God. Through it all.
depend upon His Word. Amen. Why don't you stand with me this morning? Amen. We're going to invite the pastor to come forward, break the bread of life. Amen. I believe all hearts and minds are ready for the Word of God. Amen. We're not going to take up an offering as we normally do. Be aware there's an offering plate in the back where you can leave your tithes and offerings. Amen. At your discretion. Man, we just want to be mindful of the needs of our church and the work that goes on with the supporting missionary uh, funds and working around the world. Amen. So you just feel free to give us unto the Lord. Amen. Um, the dismissal procedures are the same as was mentioned in the last Sunday service. So all of us, if you would just be mindful of that the end of service you can exit on the left those of you on this side the right and in the center aisle you would just go out the back end there amen amen let's sing this song together i sing praises to your name i know we sing this a lot but this song just moves me amen i hope it does the same for you it sounds so nice when you worship together with me on this let's sing it with all our hearts now and let's sing it like we mean it oh i sing praises to your name oh lord praises to your name oh lord for your name is great and I sing praises to your name, oh Lord, praises to your name, oh Lord, for your name is great and greatly to be praised. I sing Oh Lord, praises to your name, oh Lord, for your name is great and greatly to be praised. I sing praises to your name. to your name, oh Lord, for your name is great and greatly to be praised. Once again as your pastor comes, and I sing praises to your name, oh Lord, praises to your name.
It's always good to see all of you. We're picking up new people every day, new faces, and uh, good to have all of you with us today. May the Lord richly bless you. Well, having had that little uh, thing this morning, let's sing one more little uh, one more little chorus here before we begin this morning. I would agree with Brother Jaron. It sounds so nice. I mean, it just sounds really nice. Jesus is the sweetest name I know. Let's sing that this morning as we begin. And uh, now, for now. As we approach this part of the service now, I want you to do this. Just kind of let everything else go. You've done a great job in just creating a wonderful atmosphere. And Brother Jaron's led us in some worship. Just let go now and just say, Lord, whatever you have, whatever you want to say, whatever you want to speak to me, Lord, I'm, I'm open to it. Just do that right now. Jesus is sweetest. just the same Father, we invite you now to draw near to us as we have come aside from the world and the busyness of our week and all the different burdens that we've borne. Lord, we just desire to sit at your feet this morning and just to grow in the grace and knowledge of Almighty God, to be able to be challenged, Lord, in the hearing of the word. Father, may you just speak to us today. And Lord, as we approach the word this morning, we just invite you, Lord, to forgive us. We ask you, Lord, to be merciful to us. If in any way we have done anything, Lord, or said anything that may have grieved the moving of the Holy Spirit in our lives, Lord, I pray you'd forgive us of that. Father, may you have free course among us today. May, Lord, you be able to move from vessel to vessel like water moves through a stream. Lord, I ask that you would just bless the sick and those that are needy today. 
There are many needs, Lord, that are represented among us. And I pray that you would just be gracious in dealing with each one. Father, we pray now that you would just take complete control of this part of the service. We give it to you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And amen. Praise the Lord. You may be seated this morning. God bless you. We'll let our musicians take your places. And uh, we will uh, we'll begin here this morning. I just want to say that, I, again, that I appreciate uh, the opportunity to be able to come into God's house and uh, to be able to see all of you today. We didn't get all of our prayer requests mentioned this morning. So let me just go through a couple here uh, as we begin today. Uh, Brother Brian McCall, glad to say, is back to work. He got called back by his company, and he's on the road this morning. He contacted me just before service uh, and uh, let me know that Sister Shirley, uh, Sister Amber also did the same thing, that Sister Shirley uh, has got a bad infection, and so she's not here today, and we want to remember her in prayer. Also, the Buchanans are not here today, and we want to remember them. Good to have the McCafferty's with us uh, today, and we missed, your cele- we missed you being here to celebrate your anniversary and have it announced. How many years? 18 years. Wonderful. God bless you. Good to have you with us today. And also today is a special day because it's Mark and Jackie's wedding anniversary today as well. How many years? 34 years. God bless you both. We sure appreciate you, and may the Lord richly bless you. This happens also to be the week of Brother Larry and Sister Angie's wedding anniversary and Brother Larry's birthday. So both those events took place in the same week. So we sure want to remember Sister Angie, the family in prayer. And uh, she's been, I've been trying to reach her and have not had much success in the last uh, week or so reaching her. So I know that she would probably appreciate hearing from you uh, over this week. Sister Mary Smith also uh, talked to her this morning on the way to church, and uh, her uh, brother who passed away lived out in Oklahoma and moved back uh, this way. He, uh, they're having a memorial graveside service for him uh, today, and it'll be later on this afternoon. And uh, I told her we'd be remembering them, the family, in prayer. Uh, they have family and small group of family and friends are going to be going there to the graveside because they could not do anything when he actually passed away a few weeks ago. And uh, Sister Mary Smith was telling me a little bit about uh, their family, which I didn't know. Uh, her grandparents, uh, her grandparents, her grandfather uh, was Cherokee Indian and they were, were half, 50% Cherokee Indian. And so the brother was out in Oklahoma and lived very near the place where, on the Trail of Tears, where they uh, lived out there in Oklahoma. And uh, it was very interesting because he was very knowledgeable in all of the uh, Cherokee history. And uh, she's been finding out a little bit about that and was sharing some of that with me today. And uh, so I told her we'd sure be remembering her in prayer uh, as well today. Also, uh, this uh, on Friday morning, uh, Sister Dolly Epperly passed away. Sister Epperly was a uh, just a very dear, very precious uh, sister. lived up in uh, Virginia, and uh, she's in the church that Steve is looking after, and he'll be doing the service on Wednesday. And uh, she was just a real uh, precious saint, and her and her husband were involved in the church for years and years and years, really since the church began. And uh, they were very, very special people and, and very wonderful believers. And I, um, I, I just, you know, I don't like funerals. We've, uh, I, I don't know anybody who would really enjoy a funeral. 
precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. But on our side, you know, we miss people when they slip away from us. But when it comes to uh, uh, believers who are solid believers, you just, you just have a different feel about their passing because you know where they are. And, and with people like that, you certainly know that uh, they've crossed over into a better place. And so we want to remember uh, their family today. Well, let me, uh, let me just give you a little update here. And this is uh, the books that have arrived in Luanda, Luanda Angola. And uh, after uh, a full year of being in storage in the hands of the government, they're finally now out. I think I uh, shared with you a couple of these pictures here. And uh, the believers finally got a hold of them and got them in place there. And uh, they're very excited now. They're moving around the country and they're very excited uh, about those books being available to them. And after a full year of being in storage there, it's just absolutely amazing uh, the believers were very impressed with the condition that they were in. It's like they took them, just put them on hold, and then got them out, didn't do a thing with them, and got them out uh, after much, much wrangling. And the person who was involved in the much, much wrangling uh, at the center of it all was Brother Paulo in Portugal. And because he spoke the language and was able to communicate with the believers over there, and with the virus slowdown and all the other factors, um, the, the Brother Paulo was persistent and patient and, you know, just just kept at it and kept at it and uh, finally got him released. And uh, you remember several months ago I asked you to pray about getting these books out in a situation that was holding us up in Africa. And this was it. And uh, they uh, we paid one fee that was a tax that the government imposed, which that's not abnormal. And then uh, the storage place where it was, those are the people who wanted to have... Uh, an exorbitant amount of money, and they uh, sent us a bill of almost $17,000 U.S. dollars just because they thought uh, there was rich people involved in this. <laughs> and uh, so uh, I told Brother Polo, I said, you know, there's just that's robbery. There's no way. I said, just send the books back. I mean, send them back to China, and we'll, we'll walk them back in, you know, if we need to do that. And so we decided just to make a counteroffer of a very small amount of money in American cash. And they took it because they had rightfully stored the books over those several, over a year. And, and we used up their storage space. And um, uh, they, they accepted the offer and books were released same day. And uh, it was just amazing. So we got those, uh, we got those books out and they're uh, on their way. Now, on Tuesday, we have uh, a large number of books that are coming to my house. And when they come to my house, these are Spanish books that are uh, printed in Spanish. Uh, there's some on, on route to Mexico City, and then there's some uh, going to arrive at my house on Tuesday, and there's some that are going to be coming to uh, three other countries there in South America as we get uh, the proper uh, addresses in place, and that takes a little bit of time to do all of that. <clears throat> we, um, we're going to transport uh, Brother David and I, wherever he is, Brother David and I are uh, he, he doesn't know he's volunteered yet, but he's, he and I are going to be loading those books up and bringing them down here. My Sunday school class has volunteered uh, to package up those books, and they're going to be sent out to different places here in the U.S. Uh, for Spanish-speaking believers. And we have lots of Spanish-speaking believers uh, in America, so that we decided to divert some of those books here so that we could send them out from, from the church here. And uh, so in advance, I want to say I appreciate, number one, for you volunteering. You don't know that yet, but I appreciate that. 
And then number two, I want to thank you for all the hard work you're going to do in getting those books uh, mailed out. So we appreciate that. Now, once we do that, we're going to also be sending the shipment down to Guyana uh, after that. And I uh, told you that we were, in, uh, we were interrupted by the, uh, by the shutdown. Uh, but we're going to be collecting some things that we're going to send down to Guyana. So, Mark, we're going to be doing that right after we get these books uh, sent out and we're able to access our fellowship hall back again. And we'll let you know about uh, what to bring. We've got lots of things that we're going to be sending down there uh, to the uh, saints in, um, in Guyana. Then, uh, lastly, uh, there, are, uh, there are exciting things that are happening in Pakistan now. And uh, we're going to be doing a fairly large shipment over to there. And Brother Anwar has been faithfully working on uh, the Church Age book. He's just very, uh, at the very end, tail end of it. And uh, there, uh, we have a very uh, solid channel that goes into uh, Pakistan. So we're going to be sending uh, materials over there, materials from here, and then materials also from, uh, from our printing presses and sending them into Pakistan. So he's very excited about that. Like I say, uh, during the shutdown time, uh, in any kind of a shutdown gives a translator opportunity to be able to uh, spend more time, focus time on his work. And they're not just plugging in an hour or two after a day's work. Uh, so it's been really great to see that work uh, moving forward. And also in the Philippines as well, they're translating there, retranslating in some cases, and then getting things uh, over to us so that we can get them, uh, get them in print. So we're just excited about all of that and, ex- and very thankful for the support that's given uh, in order to accomplish all of that. All right. Having said all of that today, let's stand to our feet and let's just turn to the word. Are you ready for the word this morning? All right, let's go. We're going to look in the book of Jeremiah chapter 13. We're going to read there uh, this morning, Jeremiah chapter 13 and verse 17. Now we're going to title this this morning, A Time to Rebuild a House. There comes a time to rebuild. And we're dealing with with the theme in Nehemiah, but we're uh, we're going to go back a little bit and just do a little review today. In Nehemiah chapter, uh, sorry, in Jeremiah chapter 13, And we'll begin reading at verse 15. Before we read now, let's just speak to him. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for this opportunity we have, Lord, to be able to come into your house and to be able to worship you, Lord, in spirit and in truth. I pray now that you would just come among us in a special way, quicken the word, make it real to our hearts. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Hear ye and give ear. Be not proud. For the Lord has spoken. Give glory to the Lord your God before he, before he caused darkness and before your feet stumble upon the dark mountains. And, and while you look for light, and while you look for light, he turned it into the shadow of death and make it gross darkness. But if you will not hear it, my soul shall weep in secret places for your pride. And mine eyes shall weep sore and run down with tears, because the Lord's flock is carried away captive. May the Lord add his blessing. You may be seated this morning. Now this is Nehemiah in prophecy. He's speaking about things that haven't happened yet, but are threatened to come. They're threatened to, to unfold here very quickly. They happen within a very short time period of what he's, what he's actually saying. 
And so we know the story. Let me, uh, let me just di- uh, divert for a moment and do a little history with you. Uh, we know the story, and we've been reading in, in Nehemiah about how that, uh, the Israelites were taken captive down into Babylon. And here is the map. If you want to know the, the distance here, this is a long trek all the way from uh, Jerusalem. And you see that over on, on this side of the screen over here. Uh, Jerusalem is down here, and they take the, uh, the route along the rivers because it's a very, very hot and dry journey across to Babylon, across the Arabian Desert. I've done it. I've been there. And I uh, still have some souvenirs from that trip. And uh, it is a long, hot, dry journey over there. And you don't want to do it on foot, that's for sure. You don't want to do it in the back of an army truck, but you don't want to do it by foot, that's for sure. So when they did this journey, and this journey took place over several months uh, when they were taken away from Jerusalem and from all Israel, they had to go north and follow the river routes all the way down to Babylon. So this is a long way away. God promised them they were going to be there 70 years. This was a major upheaval for the children of God. This was a major upheaval, despite the fact that, uh, you know, God had made promises about to Father Abraham about them being in the land and how that God would preserve them. They had violated one of God's laws. And so, therefore, God uh, allowed judgment to strike and King Nebuchadnezzar to come in and take them and the vessels of the uh, temple and destroy the temple and leave and go back down to Babylon. So this was a very, very big thing. It changed Israel forever. They were never, ever really the same after this. Now, the story is told, of course, in the Old Testament, and a lot of it, uh, a lot of it we've gone over This is the chronological order of the Old Testament. This is a very handy thing for you to uh, have in the back of your mind. And if you, uh, I I refer to this because there's not an easy chronology. It's not, uh, it doesn't all happen uh, exactly in the right order that we would, that it's laid out in the Old Testament. So for instance, the Psalms and the the book of uh, Proverbs and Ecclesiastic and Solomon all of those uh, events happened prior to the uh, dispersion of the children of Israel, for instance. And then there were some books that were written at the same time. First Samuel and, and Second Samuel and First Chronicles were recorded around the same time. First and Second Kings and Second Chronicles uh, were also written. Then Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther uh, was at one point Third Chronicles. And of course, when the book, when the Bible was finally pulled together, these were separated into their own books here. And these happened after the exile. Okay, these happened. There's a 70 year gap right in here. Daniel and Ezekiel were the two prophets that were involved directly and personally in the exile. And so this, this is that little gap of 70 years that happened right here. And of course, then Ezra and Nehemiah and then the minor, three minor prophets towards the end. But this gives you a kind of a sense that there was a lot of writing that went on prior to the uh, Israelites being carried away. There was a lot of things that were, uh, that were done. Once, once we get back to normal and get these crazy cords off the pews, it'll be nice to have everybody back. Some of you are really throwing me off here being where you are. But uh, I'm glad you're here today. Now, <clears throat> I, I want to deal with this, uh, this idea of restoring this morning. And I want to I, go quickly here because I have a lot, of, uh, a lot of different things that I want to share with you. The, the idea of Nehemiah going back into the city and restoring is a characteristic or a quality that lays in the heart of God. He's, God is a restorer. He is one who cares very much, very passionately about his people. And he wants his people to be right and to be, uh, to be brought back to the right place at the right season, the right time. 
And, and God's very concerned about that. And we know that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, meaning that if God was ever interested in restoring individuals or nations, God is still interested in doing that today. And so for the fallen, for the backslidden, for people that are away from God, uh, to me, it's a wonderful thing to know that there's hope. And if you have family members today that you know of, that um, you, know they, you know that they really need God, and they may know they really need God, but they're running as hard as they can away from God, I will tell you something. It is great to me to know, in the back of my mind, that God is a restorer. I think if you're struggling with your health, you're struggling with a situation, maybe a marriage, a family situation, whatever else, believe me when I tell you this morning that our God is a restorer. He wants things to go back to where they're right. Now, there are some things that uh, need to be done in order for a real restoration to take place. But I want to just explore the definition of the word here. We find that David writes in Psalm 23, He maketh me to lie down in green pastures, and he leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my soul. The Hebrew definition is very simple. It's the word, Hebrew word shub, which means to put back or return back. The word is return. That's the, that's the important word that you need to remember. That David said... Uh, that I, I, I would want God, I would want God to have such control over me that He would return me always to the place I need to be. No matter where my decisions take me, no matter where my disobedience may lead me, I want God always to be able to return me to the place I need to be. Let me tell you, the new birth is all about restoration, isn't it? The new birth is all about returning you to a, a, a position of sonship, to a position where you have your right mind and you're in the right place. Uh, you know, they, they, there, there, are many, there are many aspects, there are many things that come together. I, I forgot to mention this morning, I see Sister Elizabeth down there. Aaron, Brother Aaron is out in Arizona today. And uh, we sure miss him, but the family is here. When it comes to, when it comes to mercy and grace and redemption... Uh, when it comes to unconditional love, all of these things are embodied in this idea of restoration. When we think of unconditional love, hey, listen, Israel is in captivity. They're in bondage out there for 70 years because they disobeyed God. But God is a restorer. He wanted them to come back to where they needed to be. He wanted them to return to the place of their origin. He wanted them uh, to, to come back to a place where he could bless them again. And so this is an unconditional thing. They didn't deserve the mercies of God, but they received them nonetheless. When we think of, the, for instance, the year of Jubilee and how that, uh, you know, God put, put laws in place there uh, about borrowing and lending and usury and all the different things that, that were allowed in Israel. But he said, uh, I'm going to put in another law in the Old Testament here. I'm going to give Moses another law that speaks of the Jubilee. And the Jubilee is all about returning back to your family again without any debt, without any encumbrance at all. And that's the way that God wants his people to be. He wants them to be free, but he wants them to be in the right place. We're not, we're not just free to do what we want. We are free to come back to the place that we need to be. And, and, and that's, what, that's what, to me, what restoration is all about. And that's a beautiful thing about restoration. Now, it is not an Old Testament concept. It is not an Old Testament idea. For instance, we find in Galatians chapter 1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness. Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. 
And that, that in the New Testament is a similar idea. Uh, it is, it is uh, inclusive of the word return, just like in the Old Testament there. But it means to mend or to put together that which has been broken or rent and to repair, to return something to a former original or unimpaired condition. That's what it means to do. Ethically, it means also to strengthen, perfect, complete, and make one what he ought to be. If it was not for God's mercies and if it was not for God's compassion in your life, you would never become what God wanted you to be. We would never, listen folks, we'll never make it unless uh, he, uh, of his direct involvement. We'll never, uh, we'll never ascend uh, to the place that God has for us without his direct involvement and his compassion. And, and, and it's our, uh, you know, we live in a time where, uh, you know, there are lots of, lots of things happening, lots of unusual things happening, lots of, lots of temptations, lots of, uh, pressures, uh, lots of, lots of, uh, breakdowns in different, different ways, different areas of our lives. We live in a time where there's lots and lots of that. But yet, God in His mercy, he, He's just patient at bringing us back to where we need to be. He reminds us of things, brings us back to where we need to be, brings us back. If you, if you're a studier of Brother Bram's message, you will realize that so often Brother Bram spent his time encouraging the people to come back to the Word all the time, come back to the Word all the time, come back to the Word all the time. Because the Word will orient you, the Word will guide you, the Word will place you, and the Word will correct the things in your life that are not meant to be. And so we come back to that. And the more we come back to that, the stronger we will be. So this whole idea of, of restoration is a very powerful and a very important thing. Now, here are a couple of things that are not even in the PowerPoint. If you don't mind, take your Bible. Let's go to the book of Luke. Luke chapter 19. Just let me, just let me sh- uh, demonstrate how powerful a thing restoration really is. Luke chapter 19 and verse 7 and 8. This is a very familiar story of Zacchaeus and how he's converted. And this is when, in verse 5, when Jesus looks up in the tree, he comes to the place uh, and he looked up and he saw him and he said unto him, we were in near Jericho uh, a few years ago and our guide who was there taking us around Israel said, this is a sycamore tree that Zacchaeus climbed. And I said, really? Wow. I said, how do you know that? She said, I don't, but I'm telling you, it's the sycamore tree that Zacchaeus was in. There's all kinds of them there. Zacchaeus, make haste and come down for today. I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, the people around, you know, the critics who are always there when God does something, they all murmured and said that he was gone to be, uh, that he was gone to be guest and with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and absolutely not regarding those critics at all and said unto the Lord, behold, a half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I'll restore him fourfold. The initial act of somebody who's converted is he wants to make things right. I want to return to things that I've taken. I want to return to things that I've stolen here. And that's the, here's a man who's not been raised in the church. He's not been around uh, God's commandments very much, at least in the latter part of his life. But as soon as he gets in contact with Jesus, he wants to begin to restore. Because that's a characteristic of God. Are we okay? 
Here we find in the book of Ruth chapter 4, and the woman said unto Naomi, this is when Ruth and Naomi are redeemed by Boaz and they're standing there in the end of it and Ruth has a child and the women take the baby and and they, they say to Naomi, blessed be the Lord which hath not left thee this day without a kinsman that his name may be famous in Israel and he shall be unto thee a restorer of thy life. And a nourisher of thine old age. Ruth and Naomi, this is where you came from, from Israel. And now you have a redeemer. Now you have a kinsman that's going to bring you back now to the place where you can live successfully in the land. For thy daughter-in-law, which loveth thee, which is better than to thee than seven sons, has borne him. Here we find Brother Branham in the message Perseverant. He said, this Mexican woman, you remember who had the dead baby and came through the prayer line and wouldn't give up? He said, she knew that if God could open the eyes of the blind, the same God can give life back because he is a restorer of life. She believed and she was perseverant. If you believe that God's a restorer, then you can commit your loved ones to God. You can commit your children that are backslidden to God. You can commit yourself to God no matter what condition you're in. And you can say, Lord, you're a restorer of health. You're a restorer of life. You're a restorer of all good things. And you can go to God knowing that that's true. If you don't mind, take your Bible again. And let's look at another place here in Mark chapter 3. Matthew, Mark chapter 3. You didn't need me to do that. But I know you miss those things. Sorry, Mark chapter 3. I don't do that for everyone. Mark chapter 3. Very simply here. This is the man with the withered hand. In verse 4, Jesus said unto them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath day, or to do evil, to save life, or to kill? But they held their peace. And when they had looked around about on them with anger, when he had looked around about them on them with anger, being grieved for the hardness of their hearts, he saith unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretcheth it out, and his hand was restored. Because that's what Jesus does. He is a restorer of life. He's a restorer of health. He's a restorer of peace. He's a restorer of joy. That's what happened in the book of Nehemiah, wasn't it? It was not just about bricks and stones and mortar and buildings and and gates. It was more than that. It was all the things that God wanted to restore and bring back to the children of Israel, his elect. Also, God's provided way in 1959. They tell me that all Pentecostal worship used to be like that years ago. This is a group that just sang now. Brother Branham enjoyed the singing. Let's notice why he enjoyed the singing, all right? They tell me that all Pentecostal worship used to be like that years ago. Stop. Pentecostal worship's gone a long way from what it used to be. Right? Wished it would return. For I think we need to go back to the old path. Doesn't stop. Just where the Spirit has the right of way. Now that's an important statement. Music is a sensitive subject. I might have been born at night, but it wasn't last night. So I am not going to put my head in the bear trap and deal with that subject today. But since we're here, where Brother Branham says, well, I wish it would return. For I think we need to go back to the old path. Just where, and this is what he's wanting to see in the music. 
This is what his declaration is. You know what's interesting? Your brother Branham never says anywhere, when you come to church, I want you to sing this kind of music or that kind of music. Well, you know, like a style, a genre of music, like Southern gospel or classical or, you know, whatever it is. He's not, he's not specifying that it has to be a certain type of a song. He doesn't say that. But this is his priority, and this is his boundary marker. He says, I think that music should be where the Spirit has the right of way. Now, you know that you can get up and sing music that will grieve the Spirit of God far from this place. Right? And we can sing certain songs, and the Spirit of God will invade this place. It will just come and sweep over this place. The important thing is where the Spirit has the right of way. I think music has two components to it. One is form and one is substance. Form changes over the years, doesn't it? I mean, 100 years ago, music in the church is very different. You can go to Pakistan today or India or Africa. You can go to places where believers gather in different parts of the world. The form of their music is very different. Uh, Brother Anwar will tell you that, uh, you know, they, they, can have, they can have a thousand people in the auditorium. thousand people there. And he says, they all will say the same thing. Hey, the song service doesn't start till a tabla player shows up. The tabla is that drum that uh, Anwar played. Brother John is the only white guy I know that knows how to play. Probably shouldn't say that. But he's the only, uh, the only guy I know that knows how to play that kind of an instrument. But uh, the, tabla, the tabla is an instrument that kind of brings it all together in a, in a song service for the uh, people in Pakistan. They just, they're just in tune with that. But you know what? It's very, very different. I mean, it's very different for me. Um, uh, when I was over there and, you know, in worship with the people there, it's very, very different. Their form is different. What's, what's important is the essence or the substance of the music. If the substance of the music, if the, if the message of the music glorifies Jesus Christ, then we're on the right track. If the Holy Spirit has the right of way in music, then we, we're doing the right thing. So we're only singing and making music and making a joyful noise to glorify the Lord. Now, it is true that, that memory and smell are two key triggers of memories in your life. Smell and, and memory, uh, like music, are, are things that will trigger things back in your life that you had maybe thought you'd forgotten years and years ago. It's amazing how sometimes you can come into a place, you can come into, you know, like you're, you're, maybe you haven't been in your grandmother's house for years and years, and you come in, and you, you know, you can just smell it. It just brings all these memories back of being in grandma's. I can't click with two, two hands. I can click with one, and the other one I'm just going like this here because I am still, uh, still have... Issues here, but I, I'm going through the motions here. I'll... Smell is a very powerful thing. It's very underestimated. We don't talk about it a great deal, but it is something that triggers memories very keenly and very strongly uh, in, our, in our makeup. Music is another thing. There, there, are, there are kinds of music that, uh, that will trigger memories for you that, uh, I mean, you, you might not even be paying attention to it. I, I remember being in a store one time with my wife, and I said, hey, I, I gotta, if you're not done, i got to go. i got to get out of here. Uh, and she said, what's the problem? And I said, it's the crazy music that they're playing uh, over, overhead. And it was the stuff that I listened to when I was in the world. They're doing this flashback thing, right? Because now we're talking... Well, now we're talking a lot of years ago, right? And I'm not going to say how long. But 
But there's, there's certain music that triggers memories for me that I don't like. And, and we associate times of our life with music. Isn't that right? This is also true when it comes to worship. There is, there is, I remember the kinds of music they sung in the church the day I gave my heart to the Lord and was baptized. Because it was such a memorable day and it was such a, an impact in my life. Uh, you know, it's just something that I remembered. I, you, know, you record all of those things and they have an impact. And, and when I hear certain songs or certain choruses, it brings me right back to that. And the older you get, the more precious those memories actually become. Now let me tell you something. You cannot change the form and take away those memories from people altogether. You can, we, can, we will always have different forms or different styles of music. We'll always have that. I mean, look at even over the, the lifespan of the message since Brother Random's been here. And, and uh, you know, the change in music over the years uh, that we've had. Uh, there, there's, there's been quite a, quite a, uh, quite a change, really, quite a dramatic change. But I will tell you something that, uh, you, it, I think it would be unfair, it would be unfair to take away everything that is precious to generations that once worshipped, maybe singing a different, kind of a different style or a different way. I don't think it's ever right for, a new generation of young people to come in and say, all right, away with all that kind of music now. We're not going to sing that, that way anymore. We're actually taking away something more than just a form. We're actually robbing somebody of memories, some people. That's why I think music in the church should minister to the whole body. Is that okay? Because even though forms change, we still have people here of multiple generations. And I think it is a reasonable thing for us to be able to all worship together. And so, like, like I've said, some people are affected by certain type of music. Then other people, some people like fast music. Some people like slow. Some people like southern. Some people like non-southern, right? And there's all kinds of different, and the forms will change. They'll come and go. But I don't think we can say to an older generation, hey, what you remembered doesn't matter. What you experienced doesn't matter. It does matter. And it's a good thing for us to be able to make sure we maintain one thing, and that is this, that the Spirit should have the right of way. Amen. Is that okay? Amen. That's what Brother Ram's priority was. And I, I think that, you know, in a sense, I, I, I think that's, a, that's an, a rather an important statement that he makes right there. And, he, and he's commenting on this, that uh, here's a group of Pentecostal people, and he said, I, I, just, I just wish it would be like that. I wish that would, we would return to that, because... There are times when we might be getting it right, but the culture may actually veer us off the mark. And it doesn't hurt for us to be reminded to come back to where the Spirit has its way. Not that we need to return to the 50s with our music. That's not what I'm saying. But whatever we sing in this church, we want to sing under the inspiration and the leading of the Holy Spirit. And that's a responsibility for our song leaders and for me and you know, the ministry and so forth. Because we, we, uh, you know, we, we're, we're all in this together. We've heard that before. Uh, we all worship together. And it is not just a single generation that is, in, that is over the worship in, any, in the body of Christ. Is that all right to say? It isn't just one generation that's over it. 
But the important thing, the critical thing is this, that the Spirit has to have its way. So the Holy Spirit can move us this way in a service and this way in a service. And, you know, we can, uh, we can have a variety of music in our service and all be blessed. Because really, that's the point, isn't it? I love that. Brother Bam said, I got it on tape. And I get real nervous now. He says, I get real nervous. Uh, I turn on that tape and relax. And maybe the tape can catch the rhythm of it. And God will furnish the spirit of it. The real blessing that comes by the spirit of God through music comes from God. It doesn't come from the music. Is that okay? Behind it all, right? I mean, you, you, you need to have godly musicians and so forth. I believe that. But it's the Holy Spirit that anoints that and makes that a blessing. And notice what he's saying. When I get real nervous, I'll turn on that tape and I'll relax. And maybe the tape could catch the rhythm of it. And God will furnish the spirit of it just to hear when I feel real upset. Because there's so many emotions and so many things to distract us from the spirit of, uh, of today. So what's the point? The point is that the Holy Spirit has its way. It's not only, not only able to bless you in here, but it's able to bless you Outside of here, it's able to bless you beyond here. It's able to bless people beyond the sanctuary. And it's not, listen, it's not just about feelings and feeling good. It's about the Spirit blessing you through the medium that He's chosen. Right? God designed that there would be musicians and and musical instruments and singing and uh, rejoicing and dance and all of that. God ordained all of that and made a man after His own heart who really loved that. To be able to minister to the people. And even God heals by music. How many would agree? Somebody say amen. God will heal by music. God will do lots of great things through music. God sets an atmosphere by music. But let me tell you, it is not for the world to dictate to us what kind of music we'll have. It's not for, the, for us to try to keep up with trends, you know, and different things. Hey, away with all of that. The criteria to me is that the Holy Spirit has his way. We want to give way to the Holy Spirit. Lord, anoint us to sing, anoint us to worship, anoint, because God delights in the praises of his people. And what Brother Adam is cautioning us to make sure we don't do is get away from that, because I believe God would want us to have to return to that. Can I go a little further? My head is still attached. Modern events make clear. Now, he says, we are promised in the last day for this, the word, to be restored. There will be no church, no denomination, Methodist, Baptist, Pentecostal, whatever. They'll never, in their modern condition, ever take this church to a bride. Can't do it. They'll fail. As it is, this is really quite a statement for him to make. Because the bride was not, you know, I mean, the opening of the word is just freshly open. Very, very few people really understand the phrase, the opening of the word, or the open book. Right? There's very few people on earth at that time who's really understanding what the consequences are of the open book. And so he's letting us know that denominational systems under denominational leadership will never take this group of people to where they need to be, which is the bride of Christ. It'll never mold them. It'll never teach them. It'll never, it'll never develop in them the qualities of the bride of Christ because that's what the message does. It calls for those qualities and develops those qualities in our lives, right? It'll do that. And he said the denominational system that exists today in its present condition will never be able to do that. It'll never be able to do that. So God will bring us back to the word of God. And that's where we stay. We stay with the word. And when the pillar of fire moves, we'll move with it. And when the cloud moves, we'll move with it. 
God's idea always is to restore, to bring back. And then from there, everything can roll on according to God's program. And we find many examples also of the same thing. Recognizing your day and its message. Brother Bram said, now in the Gentile days, according to the promised scripture of Malachi 4, Jesus said all scripture is inspired and not one of it, he said, can be kept from being fulfilled. There's no way to keep the scripture from being fulfilled. And here we see it happen. So in his last days now, in Malachi 4 and Luke 17, and as it was in the days of Noah, all the other passages of Scripture that are coming to pass, there's no way to not make it come to pass. It's all going to happen exactly as God says. And restore what in the last days? He said, you denominational brethren, listen, restore the Pentecostal original feast like it was at the beginning. So will it be restored before Israel's trumpets feast shall sound it has to be restored. So before this gospel goes back to Israel, the word will have to be restored again. And it will not be restored in a denominational context. He's already, he's already made that very clear. It will not be restored by a denominational system. It will be restored by God bringing his word back in its purity to his people again through a prophet. And then letting that people take that word with nothing mixed into it, nothing added to it. And let them go right on to the change of their body. Are we okay? But remember now, this is what, this is what Brother Rams, he's, he's reiterating that. And all I'm trying to do uh, this morning up to this point is just to let you know how powerful a thing the whole idea of restoration is. Is that God does not take something that's broken and say, well, you know what, we'll just patch it and we'll just, we'll just kind of fix it up and move on. No, if, we, if we've gotten off the mark, he's going to bring us back, make things right, get things restored the way they should be, and then we're going to carry on with God's program. Right? You know that in your life, there are times when uh, maybe, maybe you've had an offense with somebody or a disagreement with somebody. Uh, maybe we've experienced that in life. And, and you just can't keep going forward in that direction. You've got to come back and make it right. And then you can go on. And you can go on with a clear conscience, right? You ever, ever experienced that? You've got to forgive. You've got to let go. You've got to present yourself you know, in, in a position to forgive. Otherwise, you know what? We're never going to really get right, stay right, be right up, up the road here because we just got a covering over it, and that's not going to work. We need to come back, make it right, and then we go on again. Ye that are spiritual, if a brother is overtaken in a fault, ye that are spiritual, restore such an one with a spirit of weakness. You want to go back, do what you can to bring things back to the center again. Bring them back to the right thing again, and then we can go forward after that. But it's not going to happen until we adopt that spirit of restoration. Repentance is all about restoration. All of those things are included. There has to be something to do it. Malachi 4 said it was restore back to the faith of the fathers, to the children. That was what would take place. And if Israel had recognized their Messiah, their promised sign, they wouldn't be where they are today. The ability to turn around... The ability to respond to a message of restoration is really, to me, a great thing. Because Israel, he, he's talking about Israel here. You could put in modern denominations or whatever you want to there. If they had recognized their Messiah and come back to the word that promised the Messiah in the first place, Israel would not be where it is today in darkness and with veils over their eyes. They would not be there. And there's a lot of good Christian people today that would not be turning their backs on this message and turning away uh, from the promises and the power that it contains. They would not be doing that. They'd be embracing it if they were able to uh, come back to the word of God and see that's exactly what the word promised. We've, we've had friends who had dire healing needs in their life. 
And we, you know, we've offered him, hey, we'd be coming and I'd be glad to come and lay hands on you and pray for you. Or I've got a prayer cloth I'd be glad to give you that we prayed over and would be glad to give it to you. And they'll, no, no, our church doesn't believe that. And rather than open their hearts to the word, this person suffers as a result of their blindness to the word of God. That's a promise in the word of God. That's the thing that God has given to the believer. And these signs shall follow them that believe. And yet they'll turn away from it. So there's a lot of needless suffering. There's going to be a lot of people wind up in tribulation because they turned away from what God tried to restore us back to. Are we okay? All right. So now let's go back for a moment here. Take your Bible and let's go back into the book of Second Chronicles. Kings and Chronicles, right at the very end, the very end. This is the last days of Israel in Israel before they're taken away captive. Okay, this is the last of the last times that they're in the land. <clears throat> Verse 5, the last chapter of Second Chronicles. If you got your Bible, look at this with me here. This is chapter 39 and verse 5. Jehoiakim was 25 years old and he began to reign. He reigned 11 years in Jerusalem and did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord his God. So he's coming from a, um, one bad king to another. Uh, these are his father's grandfathers and so forth. And he's rebellious against God as well. Verse 6. And against him, this is the king who was on the throne when Nebuchadnezzar showed up. Against him came up Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, bound him in fetters and carried him to Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar also carried of the vessels of the house of the Lord to Babylon to put them in his temple at Babylon. Now, if you have your Bible uh, like mine, laid out like mine, uh, the book of Ezra starts on the next page. And if you drop down in chapter 1 of, verse, uh, chapter one of Ezra and verse 11, it says there, All the vessels of gold and silver were 5,400, and all these did Shezbazar bring up with them of the captivity that were brought up from Babylon unto Jerusalem. Seventy years later, everything that was taken out of the temple is brought back to Jerusalem. You know why? Because God had his eye on those vessels. The vessels were not the problem. The vessels were not disobedient. And they were sacred. They were dedicated to the service of God. And so God, even out in Babylon, had his eye on those simple vessels and brought them back intact. Every one of them. They're numbered. They're numbered, right? Kind of should make you feel good too. Because you may not think of yourself much more than a pot or a spoon. Or some of you are a fork. You're always prodding your husband. Uh, you know, I mean, we're all, we might think of ourselves as vessels that way. But I will tell you something. Jeff, your family's looking at you, by the way. Just letting you know. Uh, I will tell you something. That God watches over even the simplest of us. We're all numbered. Even the hairs of your head are numbered. All right, uh, I just thought I'd put that in as a footnote there. Let's read in, in verse 8. Now the rest of the acts of Jehoiakim and his abominations which he did are written in the book of Kings and so forth. And it comes down through, let's go to verse 12. And he did that, which was, this was Zedekiah. So we have a passing of, of a reign here. Zedekiah was 1 and 20 years old when he began to reign. Verse 12. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord his God and humbled not himself before Jeremiah the prophet, speaking from the mouth of the Lord. And he also rebelled against King Nebuchadnezzar, who had made him swear by God 
But he stiffened his neck and hardened his heart from turning unto the Lord God of Israel. My goodness, this is the epitome of stubbornness. He, he resisted Nebuchadnezzar and he resists God. I mean, he's resisting everybody, right? He probably didn't like his wife and children. He, he's, he's, I mean, his character, he's characterized by a stiff neck and a hardened heart. 14, moreover, all the chief of the priests and of the people transgressed very much after all the abominations of the heathen and polluted the house of the Lord, which he had hallowed in Jerusalem. And the Lord God of their fathers sent to them by his messengers. Notice now, this is the condition they're in. They're bringing the abominations of the heathen and the pollution of the world into the house of God in verse 14. And yet, 15, and, and the God of their fathers sent to them by his messengers, rising up betimes and sending, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. Despite their abominations and despite their rebellion, God still sends the messengers in there and he's trying to warn them. Because God always gives warning before judgment. Amen. Somebody say amen. amen. God always gives warning before judgment. That's a principle that's found consistently through there. I know what they're doing. I know the way they're living. And I know what they're bringing into the house of God. But he still sends messengers to them anyway and tries to make it clear. But they mock the messengers of God. Read with me now. And despised his words and misused his prophets until the wrath of the Lord arose against his people till there was no remedy. Tell me what I can do. Tell me what more can I say? I've sent you Jeremiah. I've sent you Ezekiel. I've sent you, uh, you know, different men of God to come and warn you and different, uh, different righteous men who, who raised up the objection to there. But there's no remedy. Hey, if the word of God doesn't turn people around, if prophets that are vindicated don't turn people around, if, if the bride of Christ doesn't turn people around, what more can God do? I mean, there's really little hope for the world when the world turns its back after God repeatedly demonstrates his power and his presence, you know, in their lives. 17, therefore he brought unto them the king of Chaldees who slew their young men with the sword in the house of their sanctuary, had no compassion upon young men or maiden, old men. Or him that stooped for age, he gave them all into his hand. God can raise up his vessel to bring judgment there. And all the vessels of the house of God, great and small, and the treasures of the house of the Lord, treasures of the king and of his princes, all those he brought to Babylon. And they burned the house of God and break down the walls of Jerusalem. My goodness, David must have rolled over in his grave. Solomon rolled over in his grave. To think about the great place that they had built and dedicated to God. And now all these people and all these things are brought down to Babylon. 20. And them that had escaped from the sword carried he away to Babylon. Where they were servants to him and his sons until the reign of the kingdom of Persia. To fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah. Until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. For as long as she lay desolate, she kept Sabbath to fulfill three score and ten years. They had defiled the Sabbath. They had defiled the laws of God. They had defiled the things that God held precious. God said, my word is going to be fulfilled. My word is going to be completed. So let's take a, just a very quick visit here to deal with this, this idea. All right? Why was there 70 years of captivity? The commandments of God are divided into two sections. The ethical commandments, thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not kill, thou shalt not commit adultery. And then the ritual 
commandments of God, which are to keep holy the Sabbath day. All God's laws are divided into one of these two categories. They're either ethical or ritual. They're both right. They're both correct. They're both to be observed. And so when God gave the law about the Sabbath, it was a a law that he wanted them to, to practice all of their years, all through their generations. How many know that we still observe a Sabbath? Our Sabbath is not a day, right? Today is not a Sabbath day for us. But every day is a Sabbath for us if we believe. Because believers enter into rest, right? Hebrews chapter 4, we've talked about it many times. And so the idea of Sabbath is still as real or realer today as it ever was. It's very, very important to God. And to remember to keep the Sabbath day holy. And this is the law of the Sabbath here is given in scripture in different places here. Now, if you don't mind, let me just, I'm going to walk you through how God looks at the Sabbath. All right. So I want you to take note of this. Now, remember, we have a Sabbath as well. All right. So you can kind of, you know, run your parallel in your mind as you're listening here. And I just want you to notice here, God, God can never make one law and then fight it with another law. God can't do that. You, you can never have the Word of God compete against itself, right? And, and you, you can't fulfill or perform one word uh, to the disobedience of another word. I mean, God's Word would be confusing and inconsistent then, right? You can't do that. So let me give you an example. We say, uh, well, uh, the, the Scripture says that the servant, the borrower is servant to the lender. The only way, the only way... That for some people, that God would allow that to be dealt with or that to be satisfied is for God to impose another law over the top of that one, which would say that when the year of Jubilee comes, a person is able to go free. So God extends a forgiveness of that law. He doesn't do away with that law, but he extends a forgiveness of that law because he never wanted these people to remain in bondage. So when Esther, for instance, you know, she encountered the law that uh, had been passed by the king and said that all the Jews will be killed. The king comes along and, and creates another law saying that the Jews are allowed, by my decree, to defend themselves. Right? So th- there is a, uh, you know, there is a, uh, a, a countering that God will do. Now... <clears throat> Hang on to that idea. Let's look in Exodus chapter 16. And it came to pass that on the sixth day, they gathered twice as much bread, two omers for one man. And all the rulers of the congregation came and told Moses. And he said unto them, this is that which the Lord has said. Tomorrow is the rest of the Sabbath. And unto the Lord, bake that which you will bake today, seethe or allow to ripen that which you will seethe. And that which remaineth over lay up for you to be kept until the morning. And they that laid it up in the morning as Moses bade, and it did not stink, neither was there any worm therein. And Moses said, Eat that today, for today is a Sabbath unto the Lord, and today you shall not find it in the field. So God made a provision that if you took manna on, say, Monday, and you wanted to collect yourself a week's worth so that you didn't have to go out every morning and collect it, too bad. Then it would rot. It would quickly rot and smell bad and all the rest of it uh, immediately following that 24-hour period, no matter how much you collected. But there was an anointing that was on the six-day manna. And when they went out to collect that, God allowed that manna to be preserved until a full extra day. So they did not have to go out and collect on the Sabbath day, but they had this extra manna that was 
picked on the day before, and it was able to supply them food through the Sabbath day. So God made a provision for them not to break the law of the Sabbath by allowing this special manna to be picked. Six days ye shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, in it there shall be none. And it came to pass that there went out some of the people on the seventh day for to gather, and they found none. Isn't it interesting that even though they were told, don't go out on the Sabbath day, don't go out on the seventh day, and you can pick enough on the sixth day to cover you on the sixth and seventh day, people still went out on the seventh day. Isn't it funny? Their cousins and nephews are all still around. And the Lord said unto Moses, how long refuse ye to keep my commandments and my laws? See, for that the Lord hath given you the Sabbath, therefore he giveth you on the sixth day the bread of two days. Abide ye every man in his place, and let no man go out of his place on the seventh day. So the place rested on the seventh day. So God was making a provision for them not to violate his own law, because he had made a law saying on the Sabbath day everybody should rest. So he's making a, he's making a provision for that, because God wants to make sure that the Sabbath is protected. Okay, that's 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 an, that's the important day of the week for God and, and for his people. And he wants the people to remain that way. Exodus 23 and six years shalt thou sow thy land. The first passage we read was about individuals and them going out to collect manna. Watch now. Six years shall I sow thy land and, and shall gather in the fruits thereof. But the seventh year thou shalt let it rest and lie still that the poor of thy people may eat. And what they leave the beasts of the field shall eat. And in like manner thou shalt deal with the vineyard and with thy olive yard. Six days shalt thou do thy work. On the seventh day thou shalt rest, that thine ox and thine ass may rest, and the son of thy handmaid and the stranger may be refreshed. So even the land had to have a rest every seventh year. You'll find that even in the old order Amish that live up in Ohio, we've seen it before, where they've let their fields go every seven years because they want to just let the land replenish itself. And they'll plow their crops back into the land and just let them sit there. And they let the land restore itself. Uh, they're operating by this principle here. But this is what God said, that the land is going to have a Sabbath. Every seven years we're going to allow it to, to be there. Again, Leviticus 25. And the Lord spake unto Moses in Mount Sinai, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel and say unto them, When ye come into the land which I give you, then shall the land keep a Sabbath unto the Lord. So that'll be your marker in time. That's going to be our first year. And six years shalt thou sow thy field. Six years shall I prune thy vineyard and gather in the fruit. But in the seventh year shall be a Sabbath of rest unto the land, a Sabbath for the Lord, and so on. And this is God's provision, not only for the people, but for the land as well. Even today, even today in Israel, there are certain things that they observe on the Sabbath day. You don't want to get in a Sabbath elevator in a Jewish hotel or a Jewish high rise. Because if it's on the Sabbath day, they're programmed to stop on every floor and open up the door. Whether anybody presses the button or not, they've got a program because pressing the button for an elevator is considered work. And so they don't want you to do that. Neither do they want you to flip on the light switch because that's considered work. So if you're in a Jewish hotel and you're visiting Israel, even though you're not a Sabbatarian, you're not practicing the Sabbath, it will automatically stop on every floor. It drives me crazy. Especially when you're on the, on the high floors. Deuteronomy 15. At the end of every seven years shalt thou make a release. And this is the manner of the release. Every creditor that lendeth aught unto his neighbor shall release it. And he shall not exact it of his neighbor or of his brother. Because it is called the Lord's release. This is, this is the rules that come down from on high. This is God's release. And, and God is determining this. Of a foreigner thou mayest exact it again. 
But that which is thine with, thine with thy brother, uh, thine hand shall release, save when there shall be no poor among you. So when there's no poor left, we can stop doing this. Jesus, that's why Jesus said, the poor you shall always have with you. For the Lord shall greatly bless thee in the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee for an inheritance to possess it. Follow this and I will bless you. Disobey this and you know what? The land will get her Sabbaths anyway. Despite what you think and despite what you want, the land will get her Sabbath anyway. But if you practice this, he said, the Lord shall greatly bless thee in the land. These are, these are my commandments. These are not Moses' commandments. These are my commandments. And this is what I want to do. You can get, I hope you're getting the point that this is exactly, uh, you know, what God is, is making sure that people understand very clearly this is a big deal to God. This is something that's very important to him. When we go back in the Second Chronicles, again, here's the verse that we read. <clears throat> that all of those vessels were taken out. Down to verse 20. And then that had escaped from the sword carried he away to Babylon, where they were servants to him and his sons until the reign of the kingdom of Persia, to fulfill the word of the Lord by the mouth of Jeremiah until the land had enjoyed her Sabbaths. So you can see that even when uh, Nehemiah is dealing with the people, uh, there's, a, there's a sense of commerce that's kind of influenced the country where they don't want to miss a whole year of growing. They don't want to miss a whole year of revenue. And therefore, Sabbaths, in a sense, are not as important as they used to be. Right? You remember on the Sabbath day, the sellers came in and Nehemiah says, you show up here again and I'll throw you out. I'll physically pick you up and throw you out. Remember that? That come from the idea that Sabbath is not that important. And, and the reason God sent them into judgment is because God said, but it is. Amen. It is important. What I tell you is important. It's important for the land. It's important for the people. It's important for the whole nation. And it's important to God and your relationship to God and what you do on the Sabbath. All of that is important and matters. And when they disregarded that, God allowed judgment to strike. He allowed the children of Israel uh, to be taken into, into captivity, into exile. And they were brought from their place with all the, all the instruments and all the things that were taken out of the, out of the temple and taken down into the land of captivity. Now, if you don't mind, I'm going to ask you to turn to one more place in your Bible, in Isaiah chapter 9. I'm sorry, in Nehemiah chapter 9. Nehemiah chapter 9. So right after Chronicles there. Ezra, Nehemiah chapter 9. When Nehemiah stands with the people before God, and this is when the book is open before them, Nehemiah prays this way. Nehemiah was a prayerful fellow. Nehemiah chapter 9 and verse 33. Howbeit, thou art just in all that is brought upon us, for thou hast done right, and we have done wickedly. He's owning this problem. He and his forefathers, he's owning this. We, we realize why judgment is struck. We realize why we were taken away. We realize why all this has happened. Neither have our kings, our princes, our priests, nor our fathers kept thy law, nor hearken unto thy commandments, and thy testimonies wherewith thou didst testify against them. For they have not served thee in their kingdom, and in thy great goodness that thou gavest them, and in thy large and fat land, 
which thou gavest before them, neither turn they away from their wicked works. Behold, we are servants this day, and for the land that thou gavest unto our fathers to eat the fruit thereof and the good thereof, behold, we are servants in it. And it yielded much increase unto the kings whom thou hast set over us. Because of our sins, also they have dominion over our bodies and over our cattle at their pleasure and are in great distress. And because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it, and our princes, Levites, and the priests seal unto it. Nehemiah is admitting before the people. He's admitting before God. You know what? Lord, if you hadn't warned us, it would be one thing, but you did. If you hadn't described so clearly what your law meant, then we'd, be, you know, we'd, be, we'd have a cause to argue. But Lord, you, you, you blessed us, you prospered us, you showed us, you sent messengers, you warned us. And we disregarded that. We, we took that for granted. We allowed it to just pass by because we had other priorities and we had other, we had other uh, things that we wanted to attain in life. And, and so therefore now Nehemiah is saying, here, Lord, we stand and we are your servants in it. We are the people now that you have called to restore this place. But the more important thing than the walls themselves was all that was lost in the dispersion of the children of Israel. And all of that which was now being brought back to, uh, to their minds. And all, he says that the land is even being blessed now because we've been away and, and the land is restoring itself and providing for us. And for that we're thankful. And the Levites and, and, and the, the scribes and all the ministers and the musicians and everybody who's involved here and the priests and the princes, everybody else. They said, we want to we make a covenant. We want to say we are the people of the, of the restoration. We are the people who've been brought back. We are the people who've been brought out of Babylon. And now we're, we're standing here and we have, uh, we have a knowledge of the book. We have the open book in our, in our hands now at our disposal. And we're able to look at it. And God, we should not really even be here, but by your mercies we stand today. And this is his prayer. This is his idea that he's conveying. That, you know, we are, we are only here by the grace of God. We're only here because you're a restorer of life. We're only here because you love us and you're, you're patient with us. And so therefore, Lord, cause to rise up whatever it takes for us never to take your word for granted ever again. Because we know you are a just and a righteous God. And we know that if we make the same mistakes again, we'll find ourselves under the judgment of God again. And so therefore, Lord, cause to rise up in me whatever it takes for me to be identified as a believer, as one who is obedient, as one who is compliant with your word, as one who desires to follow in the footsteps of those that have been righteous men through the years and, and, and those you blessed and those you prospered and those that you used over the years. Let me be one of those kinds of men. Let me be one of those kinds of women that uh, were highly favored of the Lord. And let me be that kind of a person because we're the people who actually witnessed the restoration of Almighty God to bring us back to the place after so great a transgression. After so great a, a defilement of God's law and a disregard of God's law, Lord, make me that kind of a person that I would be characterized by never, ever taking your word for granted and say, well, it doesn't matter. And I have my rights and I have this and I have that and something else. And, and I, I, I think it's not a difficult stretch. You, you folks are, are students of the message and 
You know, I've, I've got all kinds, of, uh, all kinds of statements that follow from here where Brother Branham, and, and we'll eventually get to some of these here because there's some things that I wanted to share with you. But here's Brother Branham doing exactly the same thing in 1965, and he's actually pleading with the church. He says, oh, church across the nation, he said, listen to your humble servant this morning and look where we were a few years ago when this first started and the impersonations that have capitalized on it and the millions and billions of dollars that have flown into the organization's. Because remember now, this is the dawn of TV evangelism. This is the dawn of Oral Roberts on TV and all the others that followed him. And he said, it, it, it's, it's caused great revenue. It's caused great kingdom building. It's caused great crowds. And people maybe that, uh, you know, never had any idea or witness of the gospel. And now all, all of this is going on here. And he said, it's created millions and billions of dollars that have flowed into organizations. And whenever you flow millions and billions of dollars into religious organizations, guess what? They just become bigger religious organizations. And they have, uh, have ways of generating more and more. Uh, there's one particular pastor down in Texas down there who smiles a lot and his revenue is $92 million a year. $92 million a year. Do you realize how many books you could print with $92 million a year? And half of that money goes for television revenue. So they pay around $45 million to have those TV cameras set up so it can be beamed everywhere and you can have it on your TV or your podcast or whatever else. All of that technology costs them around half of the revenue that they bring in. Well, naturally, they gotta, you know, they gotta continue to wow and pizzazz and, and entertain and do all the things they need to do in order to keep that kind of revenue rolling in, in order to keep that, you know, uh, I mean, you know the story. So it, 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 Brother Manum says that big begets big and begets bigger and so forth. And you know what? God is not against big. But God is always against when we stray away from the word. That's what he says, still away from the word of God. Now here's Brother Branham in front of the church in 1965. He's only got a couple of, he's only got less than a month to live. And he's standing there pleading with the church and say, oh church, listen to your humble servant. Because God is giving you a chance at restoration. God is giving you an olive branch. God is reaching out to you with a restored word. God is vindicating to you that he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And God is going to stand by his word. And God is going to do the things that he said he was going to do. And God is and has restored Malachi 4 and Revelation 10. And God is promising to open up the seals off the book and to loose it thereof and all the other mysteries that come out. God is that God and he's still alive and he's still doing everything he said he was going to do. And you are the generation that have experienced that in person. We are the generation that followed. But they were the generation that saw it with their own eyes. But in the eyes of the unconverted, which is more impressive? Or which is more attractive? Which is more powerful to the unconverted? The billions and billions and the growing and the entertaining or a humble prophet of God's pleading with the church standing there and saying, you're drifting away from the word, a word that's been restored. You're a people that are moving away from what God brought us back to. God has returned us. God has brought us back. God is a restorer of life. God is a restorer of his word. God is a fulfiller of his promises. And we've, we've, been, we've been the generation that have seen that and have come back to that. And yet we're going right off after this over here. Until 
Tell me what the remedy is for Laodicea. Why isn't our church full of running over? Our fellowship hall and the people that are over here. Not that, not that everybody needs to come and hear me, but everybody needs to hear, everybody would benefit from hearing the truth of the message of the hour. Would you agree? I mean, it's a good thing. It's a, it's, a, it's a good thing. It contains rapturing faith. It contains all kinds of promises and all kinds of uh, direction in life. It, it, it contains all kinds of things. As a matter of fact, when Nehemiah and, and, the, and the people rebuilt the wall, you remember the scripture I told you when we were outside in the shelter there, where they were all spread out on the wall, and he said, when you hear the trumpet come together, and he said, we'll all fight as one man. You remember that little passage that's found in Nehemiah? And they were all spread out. They had people with uh, tools and people with swords. And they were, they were scattered along the wall. And uh, the, the reason that they did that is what I'm finding out. The reason they did that is because they lived, they lived near the, pat, the portion of the wall that they were reconstructing. So their houses, like our houses, are all spread out, right? We don't live side by side. So the people were not side by side on the wall, but they were actually building up the fortifications in front of their own home so that their own homes would be protected from the enemy that comes in. Let me tell you something. Any godly ministry is going to encourage families to build strong walls between them and Laodicea. And even though we're spread out physically, you know, through the week and so on, when we hear the trumpet sound of the of the church coming together, we all come together for a little while, but then we go back to rebuilding our walls again. Because you people who are raising families are trying to do everything you can to prevent the world from chewing up your kids and spitting them out like little bits. Because sports will do it. And, uh, you know, entertainments will do it and, and uh, computers will do it and social media will, will influence it and all the other things that go on, all the other things that happen there. It's all, it's all enemies trying to get in past the wall, but they were, they were spread out because everybody was building the portion of the wall in front of their own household in order to pr- pr- protect their own families. And to me, to me, if I, if, if, if I want to be known for anything else, I'd like to be known for a minister that helped promote you building your family strong against the wiles of the enemy in our time. Whether it's through marriages or men's meeting or whatever else, I think it's an important thing because that's what we're called to do. Because God gave you those children to protect them and lead them and guide them and influence them in the right way. Even when you are called to be unpopular with your own children. And we are sometimes. We are, we are quite unpopular with our children. As a matter of fact, very unpopular with some of our children sometimes, but we know by God's grace, God's given us an idea and a sense of what's right and what's wrong. And I think it's an important thing for us to stay there and to continue to build a wall. And that's why they had a tool in one hand and a Bible in the other one, because they knew, they knew, they knew they had to operate by the book. They knew they had to operate by the principles that God had given to them. And Nehemiah's pleading, and here's Brother Branham who's pleading the same thing. Buildings... And organizations are not the way God stirs his spirit. He stirs it right into his word. Make it live. If God's going to lead you and guide you, he's going to lead you back to his word. Follow the word and then let God bless you. But God doesn't bless you with all kinds of prosperity and millions and, and billions of dollars of things. And then, uh, you know, go seek for God when trouble comes. That's why he said denominations will never bring this to the bride. Because the missing ingredient was that the people were not stirred back to the word of God first. And then let God take them on from there. They rather went with the fruits of these ministries and build themselves empires. 
I will just say this, that in times like this, I'm glad I'm not under some leader of an empire. I'm glad I'm not under the influence of some headquarters that is making decisions, protecting the flow of revenue that comes in, rather than helping guide me into the wedding supper. I'll, I'll take the leadership that guides me into the wedding supper, rather than leadership that protects its flow of income. But be prepared. We're not the glitzy. We're not the entertaining. We're not the real big. We are the people that simply agree with God's word. I'll take that. I'll take that. And here's a, here's a prophet with the same spirit Nehemiah's got. Here's a prophet with the same desire to see the right things restored. And to stand in front of the world, the denominational world. And he says, you're taking all of that and you're moving away from the word of God. He says, as your humble servant, he said, just, just listen to what's being said. Let's take a look at what you're doing. It takes a spiritual person to look at themselves as God would look at them and make the corrections in their journey. The people of God can do it because they're elected to do it. But it takes a very spiritual person to actually accomplish that. I say this. May God put in us, or may God stir up in us whatever we need to have to stay faithful to what God has restored to us. Restore is God's mercy extended to you. Restore comes from his grace. It's it's something God does again. It's something God does out of his mercy. He doesn't have to restore, but he does. He doesn't have to heal us, right? But he does. He doesn't have to make churches, you know, strong again, but he does. He, he does that. He helps us through hard times and, and come out better on the other side. And, and, and all the ways that God restores, whether it's through the, uh, the, the law of Jubilee or whatever else, in any way that God restores, that's an act of mercy and, and love and grace for God. For you to come back to a state of good health, that's, a, that's an act of love and mercy. God doesn't have to do that. He still could have died and forgiven our sins and left out the healing part, but it's his mercy that allows us to experience healing as well. Even when we don't deserve it. There was all kinds of sinners came into Brother Bram's prayer lines and got healed just because they believed in the promise of healing that was stated. And they accepted that and they walked away from it. Not that they deserved it, but they got it anyway. It's the mercy of God. Restoring is, is, is an expression of the heart of God, the mercy of God, to bring people back to where they need to be. When you get to that place where God restores you, and then you turn away from that and walk away, I don't know whether God has expressions or not like this, but this to me would be a fitting one. What more can I do? No remedy for that. Should I send him another Brother Branham? Should I send him another something else? What, what else can we come up with? Maybe we could preach the gospel by drone. I don't know. That might get to people's attention. I, God is like, signs and wonders? We've had it pretty good. We've had it pretty good. Miracles and signs and wonders that have been done. For the generation that experiences restoration to turn away from the restoration. But remember now, just like the laws of Jubilee, it's not just about the land and the nation. It's about individual. If, you have, if you have, you're into an agreement with a person, or whether it's collecting manna for you and your family, 
operate by the laws of God, collected one, one day for two days when it comes to the sixth day, and God will honor that. So even on the small scale or the bigger scale. So if you've been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ because, uh, you know, you, you got away from God and then you came back and gave your heart to the Lord and then you find influences creeping in again and you're giving in to that and straying away from the Lord. It's a serious thing. It's a serious thing. On an individual level and on a church level, if we stray from the things that are sacred to God, that's a serious thing. God, I pray, God, put in me whatever I need to stay true to what you've restored us to. You've restored us to the open book. You've restored us to the whole thing. You've restored us unto the joy of the Lord, which is our strength, which is the pronouncement of the mysteries of God to us in a way we can understand, right? That's, what they, that's why they could rejoice, because they could understand. And they sent the Levites among them, do you know, to make sure everybody understood what was in the reading of the book. It's not just the reading of the book, but it's the understanding of the reading of the book. And they were all happy with that. And they were all enjoyed. I, I got something out of church. I heard something. I learned something. Let me tell you, that's not your intellect. That's the Holy Spirit revealing things to you, even while you're sitting there and revealing things to us. And I'll tell you what, saints of God, he's restored us to that. He's brought us back to that kind of understanding. And the world out there, they look at us and they think we're funny. And the world, you know, I mean, they just have different things to say about us. But to us, I say this, God, keep in us, stir up in us, whatever it is that needs to be there. That I can stay with what God has restored me to. Because what you have restored me to is great. Let's stand to our feet. What you've restored me to is the open book. In other words, the book without any reservations. The book without any holding back. The book without any obscurity at all. But God's given us great understanding of the mysteries that have come to us in the last day. And God promised that he would restore it all to his people in the last day. And I think we are a blessed people. I do. And I, I never, we never want to be like the people in the end of Second Chronicles here who, you know, they, they heard it, they saw it, they sat in church, brought home the tapes, didn't have any effect on them. But when Nehemiah came and he prayed that day in front of the people, he stood up in front of everybody and he said, Lord, you did right. You did right. And here we are. And in all of God's, you know, all of God's dealings in the last day, we can say the same thing. It's not like the church ages didn't have messengers to warn them. It's not like the ages didn't have, uh, you know, a, a presentation of God in their day to really see the presence of God in their day. Every age did. Every generation did. And we are the people that saw all kinds more. We saw much more. And God allowed us to be able to experience all of that. I, I, I will say this. I think we are, we are a people that, <clears throat> that God has selected in the last day for a specific reason. And I think that he wants us to grasp all of this that's come open to us. And, and to be able to enjoy that and be able to uh, sing those praises. Now, we sang this morning. Uh, Sister Becky was playing every praise. So let's sing that this morning here. And let's all, let's all ring it out together here today. Every praise is to our God. Every word of worship with one accord. Let's sing it this morning. Every praise is to our God. Every word of worship with one accord. Jeremy, would you come on up? Help me sing. Every praise, every praise is to our God. Every to our God and glory, hallelujah, to our God. Oh, every praise, every praise 
praise to our God, God my Savior, God my healer, God my deliverer, yes he is, yes he is, God my Give myself away. Let's sing it this morning together. Give myself away. Yes, I give myself Give myself away. I give myself away so you can use me. I give myself away. 
to give ourselves to him completely. And you are my strength when I am weak. You are the treasure that I see. You are my Seeking you as a precious Lord to give I be Rising again, I bless your name. You are my all in all. And when I fall down, you pick me up. When I am dry, you fill my cup. You are my all in all.
Lord, may the Holy Spirit have his way. And Lord, in our worship, may you have your way. In our lives, Lord, in our Christian walk, have your way. In our gathering together in this place, Lord, we ask that you would have your way. May, Lord, we never cause the judgments of God to to have to deal with our hearts, to turn us around. But Lord, may we be turned around by a nudge of the Holy Spirit. May our lives be so sensitive to you that we can be redirected, Lord, by a word or by a sermon, Lord, or by something that's said. Father God, we just, we just know that the gates of, of, of your kingdom are opening up, Lord, very soon. And, and we desire to go through with rejoicing. But Lord, I know that in our lives, Lord, we know that you have things to deal with. Deal with us according to your mercies, Lord. Deal with us according to your love and your grace. Bless every family, I pray. Bring healing to those that are needed, Lord. And we think of Sister Connie today. And, and Lord, we think of Sister Angela and her family and, and the memories of the loss they experienced, Lord, and, and having to let Brother Larry go. We commit them into your care. We think of Sister Mary Smith today and, and pray that you would just be with her and give her strength, Lord, her and Brother Richard. We love you and we thank you, Lord, for your mercies. 
thank you, Lord, for all you do. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. And amen. Thank you, Jesus. Uh, I'm going to make it. He's already said that I would. I'm going to make it. He's already said that I would. And I'll keep on trusting that He's working everything for my And he walks beside me, and heaven is in my view. Oh, I'm gonna make already said that I would, and I'll keep on trusting that He's working everything for my good, and He walks beside And heaven is in my view.